Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in to Unscripted, presented by Be Unique Magazine, because an authentic life is unscripted. Be Unique is a 501c3 charity that works today to change tomorrow. Learn more at our website, beunique.org. That's B-U-N-E-K-E dot org. Did you know that Be Unique is a free, non-profit publication? We work today to change tomorrow by bringing you truly amazing guests like the one we'll introduce tonight and by highlighting stories about people all over the world who will astound you. The free digital version is available 24-7 at BeUnique.org. That's B-U-N-E-K-E dot org. Everybody, this is Mary Brotherton. I am your host today with Be Unique Magazine's podcast, and my guest today is Chris Killam. He is the medicine hunter. Chris is an ethnobotanist, a global traveler, author, yogi, educator, and an ordained minister. Chris has written 14 books, one of which has been published in almost 30 languages. He has researched medicinal plants in more than 45 countries, and he has appeared on hundreds of TV shows globally. He was the Fox Fox News Medicine Hunter, broadcasting in 100 countries for 10 years. The New York Times described Chris as a cross between Indiana Jones and British TV personality David Attenborough. In addition to the New York Times, Chris has been featured in High Times, Green Flower, Civilized, Civilized, Lift, Culture, Mast Roots, Outside Magazine, Psychology Today, Playboy, Vice, LA Weekly, Newsweek, and Business Insider. He appeared on CNN, NBC Nightly News, The Dr. Oz Show, ABC Good Morning, America, ABC Nightline, ABC 2020, and many other top-tier media venues. Today, he is here with us on Be Unique Magazine's podcast. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for joining well, us thank today. thank you, Mary. It's a great pleasure to be with you today, and I appreciate that uh, lovely intro. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, it, it helps to have a little inside information. Um, Chris, for starters, would you tell our listeners – what exactly is an ethnobotanist? Well, an ethnobotanist is a person who studies the relationship between people and plants. So in the case of my work, um, I work with indigenous native people all over the world uh, investigating their natural remedies and um, you know, also understanding how those remedies fit into their cultures. I mean, if I work, for example, in the South Pacific with kava, it's not just a plant that they use. It's something that's really key to their culture and to their um, society and, and how they do so many things socially. Um, and that's true of a lot of crops, whether it's, you know, olives in Morocco or saffron or ginseng in, in China. These these things are much more than plants that people simply plant and harvest. They become, you know, really big parts of their world. So I investigate all of that and help to establish a chain of trade so that we can get, uh, you know, plant treasures from other parts of the world and that those people do well in the process. Very, very cool. Yeah, I, I actually had a cup of kava last night. Um, that was That's one of the things that I've learned over the years. Um, and it's not mm-hmm. just drinking. A, you know, people think, oh, well, you just drink a cup of tea or you do this or whatever. But there's a, a certain ritual that goes with some of these um, superfoods. And if you honor that ritual, I think it honors you back. Is that something that you've found to be true? Well, yes, certainly. I mean, 
you know, many people in the world uh, have a a closer day-to-day relationship than than uh, a lot of people, let's say uh, certainly than people who are living in, in urban areas. And uh, I find that when I go to investigate plants, uh, the fact that I'm interested in their plants and want to learn from them uh, gets them, you know, very, very excited because they like that people have respect and appreciation for the important things in their cultures. So, yes. Makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Chris, you, for, I guess it was uh, about 14 years, you served as the explorer in residence at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. What exactly yes, is I, I taught a course there called the Shaman's Pharmacy. And uh, see, where we are in, in, in western Massachusetts, which is where Amherst is, um, it's called the Five College Area. And so we have not only uh, UMass Amherst, but Amherst, Smith, Mount Holyoke, and Hampshire Colleges. And I had students from all of those, though I taught through UMass. And it was an ethnobotany course. And you know, I taught about the medicinal traditions of uh, Asia and the Pacific and the Amazon and really all over the world. And I uh, did that for a bunch of years. And then for the last three years of that course, I took students to the Amazon rainforest in Peru so that they, instead of just hearing me lecture about it, they could have you know, a real personal first-hand experience of the forest and the river and the animals and the people. And uh, that was a, a terrific, terrific experience for all of us. Uh, I no longer teach there. I, I left a few years ago, but it was a, a marvelous experience. And, and I learned, I'm sure I learned as much from the students as they did from me. Hello. Hello. Um, what happened here? Hello. Hello. Oh. Hmm. Anybody out there? Is anybody out there? All right, let's try this again. Hi, Mary. What happened? I do not know. Sometimes that happens on this show. We'll just have a little Uh, gremlin come along and mess everything up. Yeah, a gremlin came along and, like, snipped the wire or something. (laughs) No, it just, I had a weird noise, and the show just went bye-bye for a minute. I had to punch punch a few buttons and tell it, yes, I'm still interested in doing this show. Right, right, right. (sighs) Okay. So you were telling us um, basically what I was saying was that you know I I believe that I learned every bit as much from the students as they did from me and and it was a really a terrific experience to bring them to the Amazon for the last three years that I taught the course. That is really cool. Yeah, it, it certainly was. It certainly was. So you know, and and and. I mean, in the best of circumstances, in a in a teaching situation, you know, you give you give people something that hopefully is irreplaceable and inspiring, and uh, you know, many of the students felt they got that. So I I really considered that whole time at UMass to be kind of mission accomplished. Well, because you gave them more than a couple of lessons, you gave them experiences. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you know, and um, see, I, I think that. 
the world of medicinal plants, the world of the superfoods and the spices, uh, it, it, it is these plants are entree into cultures all over the world. They're entree into uh, rural areas all over the world, uh, into you know how people in indigenous populations live, and so. Um, you know, going into different cultures through these plants, whether I'm investigating maca or kava or saffron or rhodiola or whatever, um, it, it, it always gets me to places that I would not really likely uh, get to if I weren't in pursuit of plants. So the access is, is kind of remarkable. And, and what I find is that uh, at least where I've been over the years, you know, the native people um, they're quick to drop everything and just go around and explore. It's, it's actually quite remarkable. So, so I've been, uh, you know, very grateful to be on the receiving end of, of a lot of uh, friendship and hospitality everywhere. That's really, yeah, I think that's, I um, can't even think of the word I'm trying to get out of my mouth, but it's amazing how people will do that. They'll just drop whatever they're doing to spend time with you. Oh, oh yes. Oh yes. And I mean, it happens all the time and I'm, I'm continually surprised and appreciative of course, you know, it's not uncommon for me to show up with whatever team of people I'm working with in a country and just drop into a village and say, Hey, you know, is anybody harvesting coffee? And somebody will go, yeah, my aunt's harvesting coffee. And they'll just walk away from work and go with us for the afternoon. And, um, well I have found that in many circumstances, people who have less materially are much quicker to extend hospitality. It's a kind of a curious equation, actually. They have no schedulers or uh, calendars to tell them they can't. Right. That's true, too. That's true, too. And um, I, I think that's. That reminds me of my grandmother. You know, it didn't matter what time, day or night that I would go visit her. She never said, well, I'll get with you in a minute. Right, right, right. She always, always had time. And she was raised uh, the old way. I mean, she was born in the, at the turn of the century, at the turn of the 20th century. So right. uh, speaking of, of 20, I know that you visited the Amazon for the first time about 20 years ago or maybe more than 20 years ago. Uh, yeah, the first time I, I went to the Amazon was uh, 22 years ago. I, I went to Brazil and lived on the river for a month with a, a bunch of native people. And that was as eye-opening and wonderful and, uh, you know, exciting and, and adventurous as, as I could have hoped for. And, and um I, I had a, a marvelous experience, and that really laid the, the groundwork and the foundation for uh, what has been, I believe, uh, 35 subsequent trips to the Amazon. It really turned me on going down there. So what were you hoping to find when you went that very first time? Well, it was a combination of things. I had actually met a native guy from Brazil uh, who had not been back to the Amazon for about 11 years. He didn't have the means to get back. And, uh, you know, he had he was a shaman and he was um, a very wonderful guy, also had a Ph.D. in anthropology. And, and, and I was working with a company that was interested in, in a few different botanicals that, that came from Brazil and it just worked out that I was able to take this man back there. Uh, he was helpful to me in pursuing different, you know, uh, people who knew about herbs. And, um, you know, the some of the business part of that trip didn't work out as well as it could, which happens sometimes. I mean, these are all very fluid situations. But in terms of experience and in terms of, you know, laying a foundation for subsequent uh, journeys in Brazil and Peru and Ecuador and Venezuela and French Guyana, you know, all different parts of the Amazon. Uh, it was an irreplaceable experience. Just just a blast. Just a blast. That's good. So it, it basically created the foundation for your next visits. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the Amazon, it's not like any other place in the world, although sadly they're burning it down as fast as they possibly can. And that's just a horror show that's even just hard to, you know, figure out how any human being could do that. But, um, yeah, and, it, and you know, it, it, it I mean, I, we, we accomplished a lot on that journey. It just wasn't that specific parts of the business came to fruition as I thought they might. But uh, I came away with an immense amount of information and, you know, wound up learning a lot about plants that I subsequently pursued on, on other trips. So, you know, it, it it's kind of like uh, one of those packages that you just keep digging into it and there's just more and more treasure inside. Mm, yeah. You mentioned that when you go into the villages, you um, ask, you know, is anybody harvesting whatever you're looking for? And they just drop everything and take you. Have you ever gone exploring on your own or do you always take someone, like a guide with you? Oh, no, I, I, I have explored greatly on my own. But when I go to countries where I don't speak the language, uh, it's always helpful to have somebody who can translate um, you know, I mean, typically when I when I get to a country like uh, Peru or something, you know, I'll, I'll have uh, uh, somebody who will drive or captain a boat if we're going places by boat. And, you know, one or two other people who know the area uh, and can also translate. Uh, I, I've certainly done a, a quite a decent amount of exploration on my own, but I do find it more productive when I've got a team of really talented people because, you know, I don't know everything and, and I don't necessarily know everything even to ask. And, uh, you know, when you have locals or you have people who are from a certain region who understand the, the ways, the customs, um, you know, just logistics, because logistics differ country to country, then that's an enormous asset. So, yeah, I do both. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to take a little break. And when I come back, I want to talk with you about um, – some of your other trips, because I know that you recently came back from India, yeah. and I'd like to, I'd like to talk with you a little bit about the ashwagandha harvest and the ayayay. I can't pronounce this word. Ayahuasca. 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 That, yeah. Okay. Is. We can do all of that. Sure thing, Mary. All right. I'll be right back. Okay. If you like the show tonight, let us know. Call 321-417-4309 or email mary at beunique.org to ask how you can sponsor the show. It's simple and doesn't have to cost much at all. Visit beunique.org for even more details. That's B-U-N-E-K-E dot org. Join the global world changers who already know how Be Unique helps bring together like-minded humans who are making the world a better place. Read the magazine and blog posts, watch our videos, listen to our podcast, and visit our social media from one location and let's work together. Change tomorrow by finding solutions today. Visit BeUnique.org to learn more. That's B-U-N-E-K-E dot org. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with Chris Killam, the medicine hunter. We've been talking about some of the amazing natural things he has discovered during his travels all over the world. And now we're up to the point where you're going to talk about two words that most people look at and go, I don't know what that is. Um, so we're going to let Chris tell us a little bit about ashwagandha and ayahuasca, um, as well as the sustainability and so forth that he's come across with that, those two plants. So go for it, Chris. Okay, sure. Um, ashwagandha. I first got interested in ashwagandha actually when I was just around 21 or so. Uh, ashwagandha is a key plant in the uh, Indian system of natural medicine known as Ayurveda. And, um, you know, in, in Ayurveda, they use about 7,500 different plants. And it turns out that the number one plant, the most widely employed and the most, uh, you know, highly regarded 
is ashwagandha. It's a root. Uh, it's something that's cultivated, even though um, previously the trade, you know, got most of it from the wild. But that's not really sustainable as as it becomes more and more popular. And ashwagandha helps to. Uh, you know, relieve stress by reducing stress hormones in the blood. It gives energy, but it contains no caffeine or central nervous system stimulants. It actually causes the cells in our bodies to produce more energy. Um, it, it's also uh, very, very good for enhancing cognitive function, for strength, endurance, and stamina. Um, and it's uh, it's just all around a really remarkable botanical. I, I've been interested in it for a very long time. I have uh, explored ashwagandha in India. Gee, I, actually, I think since the late 80s. And uh, recently, uh, this past harvest season, uh, the harvest is February, I had the opportunity to go to India and to see... Um, you know, organic cultivation of ashwagandha um, in a in a desert region, uh, which is kind of funny because you don't typically think of a desert region being the place to you know go go see plant cultivation. But it turns out that ashwagandha really doesn't like water very much, so it huh. favors. Yeah, it's weird. It favors parched, dry environments. Um, I was there to investigate a, a particular extract that gets used in, you know, herbal supplements around the world called KSM-66. And, you know, w what's happened in the herbal scene is kind of fascinating. 25 years ago or so, people would often criticize the herbal scene and say, well, there's not enough science. And to an extent... They were correct about that. But now, um, decades later, there are hundreds of thousands of studies on herbs, uh, many of them, you know, human double blind placebo controlled studies. And these folks at uh, KSM 66 have done, uh, they've sponsored a lot of studies for, you know, cognitive function, strength, energy, uh, sports performance, male and female sexual health and function, and, and many other things. So I wanted to see their operation. And, and I got to uh, go, among other things, to the harvest of the ashwagandha roots in Rajasthan province. And that was very, very wonderful. Um, mostly the roots are harvested by women. And in the herbal scene worldwide, you do see a lot of jobs for women. Um, you know, none of these jobs are highly paid. I mean, that's the unfortunate thing is that everybody who's doing the hard labor in the field should be making more money. But um, you know, women working in uh, herbal agriculture in one way or another helps them to, you know, better feed their families, to, you know, make sure that their kids have clothes, all of that kind of thing. So I, I was very impressed by that. And, um, you know, I'm also impressed by the human studies that have come out on ashwagandha. Um, this is one of those botanicals that when you take it, you feel it. Uh, you don't necessarily feel echinacea if you take it for a cold. It, it may right. reduce the severity and the and the duration of a cold, but you're not going to go, wow, you know, I really feel those T lymphocytes building in my blood right now. <laughs> uh, but with ashwagandha, you notice the enhanced mental clarity, uh, the extra energy, uh, the increase stamina and endurance, you know, better mental focus, all of that. So um, I... You know, I, I've been very happy over the decades to uh, have a strong interest in ashwagandha. And, you know, now that I've uh, found an outfit like the folks that, that make the KSM-66, you know, I really like to uh, promote that because there, there are many uh, – let's put it this way – Every single category of consumer product you can name, from you know blue jeans to toasters to herbal products, uh, can be can be made either well or poorly. And that can, in the case of herbs, that can make the difference between something that actually works and gives you the health benefits you're supposed to get, and something that doesn't work at all. 
And, um, you know, whenever I can find, uh, an, you know, an outfit like uh, Schwaba, who did all of the pioneering work on Ginkgo, or Madaus, who did all of the pioneering work on Echinacea, you know, people who have really, really put a lot into the science and, and, and research to, to make these great extracts, then I tend to favor those. And, and certainly in the case of ashwagandha, I feel very good about the folks at KSM 66. And, uh, you know, I, I, always, I always love going into the field, Mary. It's just very exciting to get out there and spend a few hours with the people who are doing that work. Because you get to see it from a very visceral level, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. You know, and, and initially people you know may look and and go, oh, who the heck is this character? You know, but you stay around long enough, and you're friendly and and talkative, and you know, respectful and all that. And after a while, it, the whole scene kind of loosens up, and and you know, that's something that I experience everywhere in the world, whether it's the South Pacific or Siberia or the Middle East, you know, it, it, it takes a little while for, for everybody to get used to each other. And then usually it goes fabulously well. And then they want to show things that, again, I don't necessarily think to ask for. Um, so ashwagandha has been a, a big pursuit of mine, you know, for a long time, but, uh, and especially, excuse me, an especially concentrated pursuit for the past couple of years. And um, I'm very happy for that involvement because I think it really is one of the greatest of all the botanicals available to us today. And you know what? I think I'm going to have to try that out because I've never, I've never thought of it. I, I've heard of it, but I've never really considered it something that I should look into but after hearing you talk about it, I think I owe it to myself to look into getting some, a good source of it, and um, seeing. I'd like to know that when I take a, a botanical, that I do feel it. And I think that may be why I like the kava. Because well, sure. Kava is another great example of, of something that you absolutely feel. And, you know, uh, I mean, I, I have spent uh, I spent a concentrated 10 years of time working in uh, the South Pacific in, in Kava country in Vanuatu, South Pacific, way before that stupid game show Survivor ever went and built a phony village there. And um <laughs> You know, kava, uh, the way they drink it, I mean, you actually feel it in, in about a second uh, as it it's going well. down your throat. And um, it's part and parcel of their culture. And, you know, in the in late afternoon, it's funny, you'll you know, be with people someplace and the, the standard joke is somebody will call out, what time is it? And then everybody goes, it's COVID time. And then they, nice. just, uh, they just drop what they're doing that second. It's not like, oh, yeah, let me finish cleaning up around this bush. It's, it's done, you know. And then that leads to the, the very labor-intensive preparation and drinking of kava, which can go on for hours into the evening. Yes. Chris, we have someone who's called in. I don't know who it is. I'm going to punch a button and find out. All right. Hello, caller. Who are you? I am Pastor Don Jr., CEO. Good morning, good morning, Chris. You dropping some great knowledge. I can't troll from the Internet. I need to call in and get recorded to be rewarded in the Book of Life. How are y'all feeling today? Shout out to the curator that put this program together. Very good, very good. What's your question today? Well, my question is like this, and I gotta, I gotta, I'm going to ask you a general question. With us being on this social media how do you feel that plays into what you're doing as far as the branding for your brand? Well, you know, I, I, I don't really tend to think mostly about branding my brand as I think mostly about getting messages and knowledge to people. And I think that social media is very, very good for that. Um, you know, if I come back from a trip from China or India or Syria or the Congo or whatever, you know, I come back with photographs and information and I can put bits of that up onto social media. And, and the response I get is that 
the people who don't get to go do this are are generally pretty happy for the information and and for the insight into the different cultures and people you know where our our herbs come from so I, I would say in terms of kind of fulfilling my own mission, which is to you know in part to communicate about people mm. and plants and places, uh, social media is extraordinarily helpful. Okay, I, I got one more question. I'm moving out the way. Now, do you feel that the uh, the situation with the kids running around with $20,000 computers in the palm of their hand, do you feel that they lost the, the energy to go out there and touch the universe, meaning uh, – we don't cut no trees, but we get carbon. We give them carbon dioxide to give us oxygen, and it's always an ongoing cycle. How do you feel what you're doing plays into the makeup of the universe? Okay, well, this is kind of two different questions. I mean, you know, I I took college students uh, to the Amazon who were very. Um, you know, very tech savvy and, and using their phones a lot. And we would go out and hike much of the day and go have experiences. And then when we got back to the particular lodge where we were staying, it actually did have Wi-Fi. And then they would start posting like mad, you know, for an hour or so. Okay. And uh, it's just what people do. I, I think in terms of making a contribution to the universe, uh Anything we can do that's positive, any act of goodness, any act of kindness, anything that enhances people's health and well-being, you know, it's, it's, it's a little like grain of sand on that, on that universal beach, and it all adds up. So uh, I, I figure whatever you do, you know, whether you knit sweaters or you do the kind of work I do, if you do it with positivity and, you know, great care for the world and for nature and for human beings and for all creatures, you kind of can't go wrong. Okay. I, I'm the last question. Do you, did you eat today? Do you of feel course. good today? Of course. <laughs> I gotta ask that because you work hard. But I hear all I hear is work. You never talked about eating and doing regular stuff like a human being. You're a machine. Well, you know, um, I mean, I have a rich life. You know, I have a lovely marriage. Uh, we live in the country. I, I, you know, try to eat good organic food. We're fortunate to have friends and family. Um, but I do enjoy this work. You know, it's a mission for me. It's not a grind. It's not, oh, no, I have to go to work. It's like, yeah, man, I get to go to China this week and investigate tea oh or go to the Amazon and investigate cat's claw or go back and see that shaman that I met the last time. So uh, for me, you know, it, it's just another remarkably wonderful part of life, and I'm very grateful for it. Man, thank you so much, Chris. I got a Kool-Aid smile. I'm going to move out of the way. Is there a space that's precious? Thanks, man. Take good oh, care. Thank you. Man. Thank you for calling in. Uh, I'm listening. So Please much. don't hang up on me. I want to listen to the rest of the show. Yeah, you go on. You keep on listening. That's fine. Um, yes, ma'am. I'm right here. Before he called in, Chris, we were talking about ashwagandha, and I think you were about to segue into ayahuasca, right? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about ayahuasca. Um, you, you know, these days we're learning a lot more about psychoactive plants. I mean, Johns Hopkins medical center just opened a center for psychedelic studies and uh, we're seeing sort of a revival of the health interest in psychedelics that that used to exist actually in the late 1950s among psychiatrists and doctors and therapists and other people um, and it turns out that one of the great uh, you know psychedelic uh, brews basically is, is called ayahuasca. It's made from two plants. It's been employed in the Amazon for at least 1,500 or more years that we know of, and it may go back even much further than that. Um, and it is a medicine, pure and simple. It, it's not intended to be a recreational item. You know, you don't drink ayahuasca and go play naked frisbee. That's that's not its function. It's for healing physical, mental, emotional, and, and, and spiritual ills. And uh, it's it's something that has become quite popular, especially over the past, oh, 10, 13 years or so. And um, I've been... You know, one of a great many people popularizing it, bringing people 
to the Amazon rainforest so that they can have <clears throat> excuse me they can have good healing experiences with uh, ayahuasca with uh, capable talented shamans who who know how to lead ayahuasca ceremonies uh, I, I I bring people down my wife and I bring people down and um, you can also find uh, different uh, trained people who administer ayahuasca ceremonies in North America and in Europe. A lot of shamans travel, but um, this is a, a really remarkable, uh, remarkable, complete immersion kind of experience. It lasts maybe five, six hours. And um, I, one of my contributions, well, I, I kind of make two contributions to this scene. One is that I speak a lot at conferences about ayahuasca. And another is that I wrote a, a handbook, a basic guidebook called the Ayahuasca Test Pilots Handbook. And that's something that's been out for several years. And, and a lot of people read it and, and get a good understanding of ayahuasca that way. But it's a remarkable medicine. Uh, you have visions, some of which can be very, very strange. Uh, and uh, you typically drink it at night and you sit in the dark and um, most people have anywhere from good to absolutely profound healing experiences with this. So I regard it as something very, very valuable and important. And um, I'm grateful that the native people that I know are willing to share this medicine with non-natives who go down to experience it. That is I think the key is sharing. And that's what we're yeah. doing today. We're sharing information and right. trying to get people to, um, to learn more because that is what Be Unique is all about, is learning as much as we can. I need right. to take another little break, and when I come back, I want to talk with you about your writing because you mentioned the test pilots. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about your books when we come back. Okay, sounds good, Mary. Okay, be right back. Let me ask you a question. Do you prefer coffee or tea? This is a question we ask on our fun and informative millennial talk show called Coffee or Tea, No Phones Allowed. And why do I know? Because I'm Anna. I'm one of the co-hosts. It's a great time. It's a professionally edited weekly series that's free to watch on Be Unique's YouTube channel. That's B-U-N-E-K-E. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode and leave us a comment with your topic or guest recommendations. We love hearing from you. And we are back. We are here with Chris Killam, the medicine hunter, and we've been talking about a lot of different things, a lot of different topics, mostly about his uh, life as an ethnobotanist. And... Chris is a world traveler. He's been all over the world um, talking to indigenous people about their natural healing plant medicines, and he's written a lot. He's written 14 books, um, is that, and, and working on your 15th, correct? Uh, yes, that's right. I'm about uh, three days away from sub submitting the manuscript, and that's always uh, a relief. <laughs> Yes, I am sure. How do you find time to write and travel the world and teach the way you do? Well, it, it, it's really about making time. Um, you know, I if I commit to doing a book within a certain period of time, then I wind up writing in early mornings, uh, late evenings, weekends, um, perhaps when I might otherwise be enjoying leisure time. Uh, and that's just pretty much how it goes. And and so that's how I do it. I, I have long uh, wanted to write a book and just do that. But um, since I forgot to be born a trust fund kid, I still work for a living. And uh, that means that if I want to write books, I need to, you know, figure out exactly how to how to carve out that time. And I really do write books. Um, you know, mostly to put out messages that I believe in. It, it is the case that 
making money on books is tremendously difficult. Uh, that's not why I do it. And uh, if it were, I'd be very disappointed, you know, because he, mostly you can't live on book royalties. But at the same time, books become messengers, you know, messengers of different messages. And uh, in, in the case, for example, I'm just finishing a book called The Lotus and the Bud, which is about the fusion of yoga and cannabis, uh, a very, okay. very old practice that goes back a couple thousand years that is now popular. And I wanted to make a contribution to that um, because I recognize that people are very interested and I like to do the kind, you know, I've been a, a, a practitioner of yoga for 50 years and, and have also been familiar with cannabis for just slightly longer than that. So, um, you know, I'm always trying to bring knowledge forward and that really gives me the energy and the drive to write books, even when it's a real challenge from a time standpoint. Well, you mentioned that writing is work, and it is. Um, yeah. But I also know that as a writer, sometimes uh, something comes out easier. You can sit down and you start writing, and you think, oh, gosh, I'll never get finished with this. And then there are times you sit down, and before you know it, you've hit the end. So was one of your books easier for you to write than others? Um. I would say, uh, I mean, I did a um, a book many, many years ago called The Whole Food Bible, and uh, that was a very, very tough book to write. It was just uh, enormously information heavy. Um, but I would say for the most part, when I write, there's a point at which I just get into the flow of it um, and you know, I, I I don't I don't choose to write books that I don't enjoy or don't want to write in the first place. So that's that's a key part. But also, um, you know, I, I find that once I do kind of get into that flow, then um, it's not that difficult to get uh, to get a book done. It just takes you know the everyday writing a bit, the every night writing a bit, the on weekends carving out some. You know, a lot of people talk with me about writing books, and um, I like to say nobody has ever written a book. Nobody, and nobody writes a book, and that kind of confuses people. You sit down and you write a page or two. And you right. do that every day and you do that for a bunch of days and then you have a book. And part of what is hard for people is when they consider writing a book, they think of it in this gargantuan term. I've got to write a book. No, no. Outline the thing and write a couple of pages every day. Then all of a sudden it's manageable. Um, so that's what I do. And, you know, fortunately it seems to work and I'm grateful when I get you know, people's feedback about different things that I've I've written, especially if they say, hey, you know, that really helped me out somehow. That is a, a, an incredibly sweet, sweet reward for all the effort. Yes. yes. You wrote The Five Tibetans, and that one's the one that's been translated into nearly three, well, 30 languages, right? 28 yeah, the five, the five Tibetans is in uh, 28 languages right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely gotten out there all over the place. So I'm I'm guessing that is your largest seller? Well, you know, it has been. Um, yes, it has been my, my best-selling book. And, um, you know, when I go to foreign countries, I see it in bookstores. You know, I saw it in Poland at a Polish bookstore. I when I, one time I was at the uh, airport in Bombay or Mumbai, India, and it was in a bookstore there, which you know, really made me happy. Uh, it's a book. It's a very simple yoga book about five particular exercises that go together in a particular way and that greatly enhance health overall and vitality. And, um, you know, I, I think sometimes uh, these moments come along. You know, I was... I was inspired to learn these methods and then to share them. And uh, sometimes all forces just come together just right in kind of a sweet spot. 
and in in the case of that, uh, the book has been you know very well received, and there are a lot of people practicing these methods around the world. So I, I'm very satisfied by that. I can understand that. Um, it's time for me to take another quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk to you about what you call the most perfect superfood. Okay. I'm inspired to give back by the many individuals who are making a difference and taking steps to make the world better. Many people are tackling problems by themselves and thinking they are all alone in their efforts to make a change. I want them to know they are not going unnoticed. The world is watching. I'm part of a team helping to project their voices on a global scale. Small charities and solo entrepreneurs are doing amazing things but don't have the budgets to market themselves. Like many people, I once struggled in a variety of jobs I didn't care for, so I decided to find a new way to give back, to pay it forward, and to be the change. While some people my age are considering retirement, I've joined other professionals to create and manage a nonprofit organization called Peace Corps. The words that create our name tell only a small part of our giving story. We are philanthropists, educators, activists. We are compassionate, evolving, charitable, optimistic, responsible, and enthusiastic. We created Peace Corps so we can use our natural talents to help others. We work with nonprofits, individuals, and for-profit organizations that have a philanthropic outlook. Peace Corps uses several tools to give a voice to those that otherwise might not be known outside their small local circles. Be Unique Magazine is released monthly and printed on demand. This digital interactive publication doubled in size within five months. During that same time, it attracted almost 60 volunteers from 12 countries and across the USA. These volunteers are professionals. They're performers and writers, editors, researchers, videographers, photographers, crew members, and so much more. Coffee or tea, no phones allowed. This fun show is hosted by millennials and provides insight into what they're thinking but it's by no means intended to appeal only to that generation, as evidenced by their topic and their guests. Because our volunteers know that we are giving 100% of our beings to this organization, they are meeting us on our terms. Nobody earns anything. Yet we all work as if we are earning six-figure incomes. That is the epitome of giving. Curating the stories and creating a high-quality literary-style publication that not only highlights the good work of others, but projects positivity and inspiration gives me purpose. By giving myself to this organization, others want to give to Peace Corps. We have created a global giving circle. Welcome back, everybody. I am Mary Brotherton, the editor of Be Unique Magazine, and I'm here with Chris Killam, the medicine hunter. Uh, Chris has been taking us on a little journey around the world as he's been harvesting plants, and medicinal plants. He is an ethnobotanist, um, and he has claimed that he knows what the most perfect superfood is. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I, this, for, for me, I think I definitely agree because I love cacao in all its forms. Well, cacao, which is the source of cocoa, which is what we use to make chocolate, um, is, in my estimation, the single healthiest food you can put in your mouth, period. When you, uh, and, and people are often surprised to hear that, especially people who are guilty about eating chocolate. And, and, I'm, and I want to be clear, I'm not saying that eating Hershey bars is the healthiest thing you can do. I'm saying that eating cacao is. Um, we know that this is one of the, well, it's probably the most nutrient-dense food in the entire world, you know, per gram, more nutrition than anything else. Um, but we also know um, from studies that have been done all over that it is supremely healthy, healthy for you. There's a, a group of uh, native people uh, living in Panama in, on the San Blas Islands, and they, um, they, uh, many of them live entirely on cacao. They're they're very very wow. poor. 
they don't have uh, enough money to buy food. Uh, they're in a cocoa-growing region, and what they do is they take a big pot, they fill it with water, they put in a bunch of bananas, uh, boil those and mash them up, and then they uh, grind up uh, you know, cacao, uh, roasted cacao beans, and they add that to it, and they stir it and stir it and stir it. And, and they make this very, very thick, thick, thick chocolatey drink, and they drink about five cups of this a day. And um, remarkably, uh, they, the, the natives that do that have no incidence of heart disease, stroke, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, or uh, 16 different common forms of cancer. Uh, they've been very, very widely studied by um, Harvard University um, Medical Center. And, and we, we've seen um, in different studies around the world tremendous benefits for cardiovascular health, uh, for overall immune protection as a result of consuming cacao. So we, what you want to make sure of, if you're going to really kind of load up on cacao is that you get good organic cocoa powder that you um, make sure that it is not dutched. Dutching is a process that removes some of the bitterness of uh, cocoa, but it also pretty much destroys the antioxidant properties of mm. the plants. So you really want, uh, you know, certified organic cacao and, um, you know, then just, I mean, consume it as much as you like as often as you wish in terms of in terms of sweet chocolate in terms of the confection you know that you want to be careful you don't want a huge intake of sugar and uh you know as, as we've learned from uh you know from from panama you don't have to you can actually cook cacao in in bananas if that is something you wish to do right and what i have learned is that really good source cacao that is organic does not have the bitterness of a lesser quality. Well, it still yeah, is yeah. bitter, but it's not as bitter. Right, right. Um, I do want to circle back. We started out talking about the Amazon and something yes. that we haven't discussed. Um, and I know this is, going to be something that you can probably expound on. Why is it so important that we support the Amazon's ecosystem? Well, the, the Amazon rainforest, um, while, while sadly it is being cut down at an absolutely ferocious, ferocious rate uh, and burned down, um, the Amazon is this immense, vast ecosystem uh, with the greatest biodiversity of any place on Earth. And we know that biodiversity is essential for the survival of all species. Uh, the Amazon rainforest generates an immense amount of oxygen, about 20% of the world's oxygen. Uh, it has about 20% of the world's fresh water. Uh, and it is also home to indigenous native people who need that environment to thrive and prosper. Um, it is an amazing place to visit, and it serves as a, a place of enormous inspiration for a great many people. And, um, you know, it is, it is majestic beyond compare. The, the problem is that people reduce natural resources to money. They say, well, yeah, there's a lot of wood there. There's a lot of fish there. There's a lot of oil there. There's a lot of gold there. Let's go in and get it all out. And what happens in, with that way of thinking is what has happened there. Uh, terrible mining pollution, terrible petroleum pollution, um, devastating deforestation as a result of cutting down timber and now the big thing is uh, in Brazil, burning down the forest so that they can graze cattle so people can have cheaper hamburgers. That's just a ridiculous, sick, crazy mm. equation. It doesn't, it does not compute, as they say. You know, it no, really it doesn't. doesn't. No. So, how can we help? Well, you know, I, I think it, there are a number of things that can be done. I mean, certainly one, obviously, is to. 
um, make sure that you know you, you you do take the time to communicate with people who are making policy and laws. So your Congress people, your senators. I mean, reaching out to them. You know, they, they don't know that we're upset about this if we don't tell them. Uh, and so you know, we have an obligation to do that kind of communication. Obviously. Uh, spreading the message, you know, to be active on social media is helpful. And I would say, you know, if you have the means going down there and experiencing that environment for yourself does mean that you'll come back uh, infused with a greater sense of purpose about it all. That is an inevitability. So, uh, you know, I uh, that's what I encourage you know those different things be active in any ways you can and also you know make choices if a company is participating in um you know the deforestation of the of the amazon for various purposes don't you know don't support their goods don't support them so it it basically comes down to uh, one of the least um our most passive ways we can be involved is to know the source of the products we consume. Sure, sure. And 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 to, you know, raise a cry when it's important, you know, when it's important to do so. I mean, right now with the Amazon being largely burned down, uh, you know, or, or being burned at a huge rapid rate in Brazil, this is something that uh, you know, I mean, my wife and I have been active in terms of putting messages out and reaching out to lawmakers. But I think if millions of people do that, uh, that'll change policy and that'll change practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Chris, before we run out of time, how can people get in touch with you, buy your books, follow you on social media? Well, if people want to know more about uh, what I do, they can go on to medicinehunter.com, which is my website. It's a huge site. There are links to about 150 TV shows I've done, and all the information on my books is there. There's a lot of photography from around the world and an, an immense amount of information on medicinal plants. You can also uh, follow me, you know, follow me, uh, Medicine Hunter, on Instagram, uh, and uh, Medicine Hunter uh, on Facebook as well, uh, and and uh, Chris Killam on LinkedIn. So, you know, I, I, I'm out there active in the social media because I really want to get these messages out. Uh, so, you know, I'm not that hard to find. Okay, good. Is there anything, any last message that you want our listeners to know? Well, I, I guess I would like, I mean, I, you know, I'd like your listeners to know that plants remain the most widely used medicines in the world today, uh, you know, more so than pharmaceuticals worldwide. You wouldn't think so from watching TV and seeing commercials, but that really is the case. And, um, you know, it's critically important for us to help to maintain our health in ways that are not toxic, as is mostly the case with pharmaceuticals, uh, to, to utilize these brilliant natural remedies and to understand them. And I encourage anybody who's interested to take a deeper dive because these are the things that you know, can keep us healthy and can save our lives. I 100% agree. Um, friend of mine recently was posting on Facebook because she's starting, she's hit that certain age in her life and she was upset with hot flashes. She, she said, what can I do? How can I get around this? And I said, well, I'll tell you what worked for me, traditional Chinese medicine. Yeah. And yeah. She, wanted, she wanted to know how. I mean, I've heard of women who have dealt with this for 10 or 15 years. They start their yeah. hot, first hot flash and they don't ever stop. Right. And I told her, I said, well, within three weeks of taking what I call cigarette ashes and potting soil, I was basically cured. Mm -hmm. I no longer have hot flashes. I have little warm surges. And um, a lot of that has to do with whether I put on enough blankets at night or too many blankets. Right, right, I, right. I don't, I don't have that problem anymore because I used a natural way to manage it right and with sure. that i want to say thank you so much for joining us today i really appreciate spending time with you 
Well, thank you, Mary. It's been a great pleasure to be on with you, and uh, I appreciate the work that you're doing, spreading good messages to people because uh, everybody needs something. Exactly, exactly. And we will be writing an article about the Medicine Hunter, and we'll have that probably in our, if all goes well, in our December issue. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for that, and uh, you take good care. I, I wish you continued success. Thank you. Same to you, and I uh, wish you well in life. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye now, Mary. Thank you for listening this evening. We're happy you chose to spend this time with us, and we hope you learned as much as we did. Be sure to come back the first and third Thursday of each month for more exciting guests. And if you'd like us to invite you or someone you know to speak right here, just go to BeUnique.org and contact us there. That's B-U-N-E-K-E dot org.